In this episode, we discuss the many advanced uses of sensors and all kinds of applications, and we ask the question, how can we further harness the power of these devices? Greetings, everybody. I am your happy host, Philip Ruane, at the Elevated Environments Podcast. Uh, we exist to get you excited about the IoT revolution and to pose questions about how we can further improve our data gathering. You know, we are keenly interested in sensor technology these days, as it is one of the best ways to gather data about our spaces, and it can be paired with software for better outcomes. We think of the sensor as one of the building blocks of a smart building. It's very, very small, but it's very, very powerful as well. Today, I'm pleased to let you know that we have a special guest, Todd Laudeman from ENSCO. ENSCO is a specialty solutions provider for aerospace, national security, avionics, railway, and more. Todd, with his team, developed a sensor system called MicroSearch. This extremely sensitive sensor can detect a human heartbeat within a moving vehicle or shipping container and it's ideal for detecting humans in shipping containers or in the backs of trucks. It's a great tool for preventing prison escapes, detecting stowaways, and combating human trafficking. Todd was discussing this particular sensor with his neighbor, who happens to be my boss, and she was intrigued by such a sensitive sensor and wondered if it would have any applications in an office space that uses surface cleaning with GUV and other tools. So we invited Todd to our office to check out our space and share his expertise on the subject. Since he came in, we also wanted to take the opportunity to interview him on our podcast to share a bit about the sensors he used and to pick his brain a little bit about the many applications for sensors and how to harvest data in the best way possible. Here is our interview with Todd Laudeman. I am here with Todd Laudeman. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, you really bring a wealth of knowledge to the podcast. I'm a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So we wanted to pick your brain a little bit about all the different kinds of sensors there are, because in the lighting business, we've got occupancy sensors that are turn off the lights, and they're based on passive infrared technology or ultrasonic. Sometimes there's a little mic in there that detects human noise, but, but that's really about it. What kind of sensors do you work with and develop at ENSCO? Well, first of all, ENSCO actually doesn't typically develop the sensors themselves. The sensors are typically commercial off-the-shelf capability that we then integrate into a, a solution set for a customer based on the need. We use sensors extensively in at least three of our major business areas, one being rail, where we use sensors to uh, support track safety and track inspection from a more virtual or real-time capacity without having to have people walk the tracks and put themselves in danger. Um, we use it in the avionics and an aerospace area where we use a series of sensors, for example, to do predictive weather modeling for Cape Canaveral to make sure that when a launch takes off, it's not likely to get struck by lightning or do other things. And, and that includes everything from downrange, you know, plumes of activity to um, you know, just telling you whether, what the weather is going to be. 
in our national security area, we use sensors in two major areas. One is the product that I'm primarily responsible for called MicroSearch, which is a human presence detection system for finding stowaways in vehicles. So these would be tractor trailers, shipping containers, cars, anything like that that someone would try and hide in to avoid detection. Prisons are a great example. Guys trying to sneak out of prison in the laundry truck or the garbage truck. And we can use geophone sensors that are capable of detecting their the, the vibration created by their heartbeat and blood flow um, without having to actually physically inspect the vehicle. It, we also have sensors for um, I would call high value government facilities and other high value in, in commercial facilities where you can do chemical, biological radiation and nuclear detection. Again, that's more for a, a, a severe safety or security issue. So you don't want somebody in a building releasing uh, some terrible chemical that then travels through the air ducts and basically affects everybody. So major areas. ENSCO's job is primarily to pull the, the right sensors for the right purpose together and provide that to a customer. Wow, that's really neat. And it sounds really advanced compared to some of what we have in the lighting business. We, you know, sometimes we feel like our, like a single tech passive infrared standard occupancy sensor in our business is if we use it for something where that could be t potentially dangerous, like GUV cleaning of surfaces and office spaces, yeah. sometimes we feel it's just not accurate enough to detect people. And it could result in a false on when the product should not be coming on. Now, normally we would say just add more sensors to the space, but can you think of a technology that you might be able to add to a space, maybe some of these advanced sensors to address that kind of problem? Well, you might not need any any more sensors per se. I guess the, I have a couple of questions. One is obviously, when you do not want anyone in the area when this GUV cleaning is done because it's harmful to them. Correct? Yeah, it it has the potential to hurt your eyes or your skin. Okay. After a certain and, level and, of and exposure, and when you're in, inspecting the space. Are you assuming that, you know, you don't have somebody sleeping in the space or you don't have somebody unconscious in the space that's that's not able to respond, I would hope. M my theory would be your sensors and I've been to your office, one of your offices, and I and I was very impressed with what they have. But your sensors seem to be doing the job. You just want that that safety check that says I've done everything I can and I really want to make sure there's no one there. Typically, what you could do is put both a visual and audio alarm just before your GOV thing kicks off so that if there is anybody in the space, they have time to get out and they know it's about to go on. Um, you can set the timer on that any way you want. You can implement it any way you want. It might just be flashing the lights in the room and a small audio, especially since you say you have microphones and other capability, you could have a, a small audio warning. GUV testing will begin in two minutes or something like that. Yeah. In a in a safety feature, if you're really worried that the let's just say the space is the entire office and you have somebody in the kitchen that might not be you know able to react that quickly, you can also put a failsafe in there that just says G. You know they can enunciate to the system GUV off, and it just cancels that start until they're ready and vacated the space. And then they say GUV on 
and in another two minutes it goes again. That sounds good. I mean, and and the, I found that humans use their voice in an emergency. You always are the first thing you want to do is cry for help. Okay, it's it. You know, they're not going to go search for a pin pad. They're not going to go search for something else and do it via even an app on their phone. They're going to just talk. That sounds like a good idea for you know having the ability to pick up sound and to say, oh, there's someone in distress. Uh, that might be something that you could add to a typical layout. I'm I'm sure it's it's technically possible without you know ex- extraordinary expense or anything like that. Um, you you do have to integrate or put you know you have to have a, a microphone you know or or an, an audio device that hears what they say as well. But they have clap on clap off for gosh sakes you know that's all that is except that <laughs> you're not enunciating. That's right. So you've mentioned that you've worked in some high value areas, perhaps they're government, perhaps they're corporate. Um, and you have to make these decisions. I guess the leaders of these companies or institutions have to make these decisions when to use specialty sensors. And some of these sensors might be chemical sensors, they might be heartbeat sensors, or other kind of sensors. What when do you decide to use these types of sensors? It's really all about the, the how value the target is, but what the customer wants to achieve with the placement of these sensors. How fast do they want to react? Is it has does it have to be instantaneous, um, or can it just be a, you know a warning series? Typically, what we do is we have experts in the company that are that go into a facility and will do an assessment of that facility. Everything from what do you have now to what is the space like that you need? Um, what kind of sensor might you want? Are you, you know, what is your threat uh, profile, if you will? Um, in some buildings, the threat profile might only be the inadvertent release of some sort of cleaning chemical into the system that just makes everybody's eyes burn. But in some places it could be, a very dangerous and biological agent that was, you know, released in order to actually kill people. And so you have to go through the problem first and find out what the, the, the customer wants to achieve by putting in this suite of sensors and then work from there to just integrate those together into a system that you can use. And it may and still require human intervention. It may be that with an array like this and with that kind of level of security, You'd want the sensor to do its job and to warn you and alert you, but it still makes a uh, creates a position where the human would be in the link somewhere to make a decision and to take some other action. You mentioned at the very beginning that a lot of what Ensco does is they're taking sensors that are off the shelf or maybe basic, and you are harnessing them into full system solutions. And I presume that requires some level of software or programming. Is that a correct assumption? Oh, absolutely. Yes. You have um, little APIs, which are just the little bit of software that allows the sensor to communicate with whatever your hub is or your, you know, to communicate among themselves or with your base. But then you have the software that is the decision making process behind it of what do you do with that sensor data when the sensor alarms? Do you just, you know, ring a bell in the building or do you you know, make other decisions or even turn on other sensors. In some cases, you might have a system that detects a a biological leak or a biological agent in the air that is dangerous. And the first thing they want to do is see where it is. So they actually 
have a camera tied to that sensor that then turns on so you can actually see, is there somebody there? Do you see a, you know, what looks like a steaming flare, you know, throwing up smoke? Is, you know, what do you see? You can get more and more sophisticated where it ties into the building's management system. So turns on air conditioner, turns off air conditioner, opens doors, closes doors. Um, in the very most sophisticated, if they can model a plume, if you have a series of sensors that are picking up this this same chemical agent, then you can build a plume direction that says it's traveling in this direction and it's going here. That's So we want to have everybody evacuate the building in the opposite direction. And you may want to have first responders coming in from the opposite direction as well. Right. It can get very complicated. Um, but you know, you know, it's really up to the customer and, and what their purpose is, what their design is for the, the need for the sensor is how you would do that. These are not trivial systems. They can have a, an entire, you know, IT infrastructure behind them to store the data, to manipulate the data, to display the data. And actually in your offices that when I visited the other day, you'll see that some of your sensors provide the same thing. They have built-in capability to display and they have sort of dashboards that can say, this is how many sensors are turned on. These are the ones that are doing this. These are the ones that are doing that. That's all the, the software communicating with that little sensor. Right. And and we found that in our office, these sensors produce and collect so much data in real time that it can be difficult to sift through and look for what's really important and use it to make decisions and optimizations and such. So you know, based in your career with Ensco, do you have any tips for someone in our in our <laughs> space where we're trying to take the most important data and, and use it to the best of its ability? The people that manage the databases, the data repositories are just as important as the people that write the levels of code to control the sensor. Ah. So, you know, there are different, um, there are even tools one is a company called MicroStrategy, for example, that creates a, a very complicated tool, but it's for mining large quantities of data and producing information out of them specific to either a report or an action. And uh, that's, it, that's an, an art all of its own, but that's exactly what you need. Yeah, you need somebody that understands how long do you keep the data? Is the data expendable? Where do you access it? Is it real time or are you just producing you know, a, a summary of information that's like a report after the fact. All of that has to be taken into account when you combine the software to control the, the the sensor and what you do with that data and how you act on it. When we first started the sensors, I, you know, if, if there's a history, I think, of a basic sensor to software integration, where that kind of started and where you see it going in the future, if you could weigh in on that, that'd be, that'd be interesting. I don't, I don't want to go too far back in history, but you know, <laughs> I, I can go a lot further back than you, but let's just take, I mean, the first sort of commercial use of sensors that we all are familiar with is automatic door openers at grocery stores or anything, any store. In the old days, that was a pressure plate. You stepped on a pad right in front of the door and that created the, the information that the door needed to open. Now, it's a proximity sensor. It's something that radiates further out. So, you know, as you're approaching the door, it actually opens in time without you having to slow down. And so th that's probably as basic as it gets. We're also familiar with that, you know, and you, it's, that's moved on to 
the sensors that are in your newer vehicles that give you a blind spot warning or wiggle your seat when you're close to something or even more sophisticated now will parallel park your car for you. So I think that sensors are, they're gonna get more and more sophisticated. They're gonna get smaller and smaller, easier to use, cheaper to produce, and they will also lend themselves to be used in arrays so that you can use multiple sensors of the same type or multiple sensors of different types to package them together to get you the solution that you want. The sensors are being developed every day. And I would say the the future of sensors right now, as close as we can witness it, are is running around on Mars and that rover and that little drone helicopter. You know, think about that. That thing is using sensors and autonomous decision making to do an exploration project that we can only witness from days away, if you will. Even if we send it a signal, it's going to take a long time to get there. So these devices that they're using there are the bleeding edge, if you will, of the sensor technology that all of us will begin to use as everyday products in the next 10 years, probably. Yeah, that's really interesting about Mars exploration. So much of that has to be, is that considered AI when it's... Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, AI, anytime... Sensors are both smart and dumb. Sensors, you know, sensors are very good at, at detecting things and it's built into their technology, but they tend to do the same thing every time. I mean, they, you know, that once you figured out what the sensor does, then it, it's, it's repeatable and that's what you're counting on. Artificial intelligence is the ability for the sensor or a suite of sensors and the software that supports it to make intelligent decisions based on experience. So they need to turn up the volume. They need to look in a different direction they do other things but so you can teach it um but that's again another another skill set uh, as well artificial intelligence the people that build that into uh, equipment are you know very unique specialists indeed but it's going to be more and more as the future in, in the future well that was fascinating and you've given me and all of us a lot to think about i'm really eager to see how commercial buildings and schools and higher ed, all of these segments take all of these advanced capabilities and run with it in the future. But I, I want to thank you very much, Todd, for coming on. Is there anything else that you'd wish to leave with the audience before you go? No, I, I think you guys are doing a great job and, and um, I, I appreciate the opportunity and be glad to communicate with you further if, if you desire. I think your solutions are going to be just fine. One of the things that I really liked about my visit to your office was that you were literally using um, your office as an R&D center and a learning center for this equipment. Because when you go to present that to your customers, the more you know about the sensors and the way to control them and what you can get out of them, the better solution you're going to help them arrive at. And so keep doing that. I mean, that is really impressive that you guys are learning and using different things, even sensors that do the same thing, learning how one might have a better impact impact on one solution than another. Well, Todd, thank you for taking notice of that. And we really appreciate that. And we're very proud of our space and we're always looking at ways to experiment in it further. So everybody, Todd Laudeman from ENSCO, and we look forward to having you back on sometime. Great. Thanks very much, Phil. All right. Have a great day. You too. Well, it was nice of Todd to plug our headquarters up in Baltimore. Uh, We really have done a lot of work in it. We've arrayed that office with very sophisticated sensors that can measure a great deal of data. 
more than just occupancy data, but also data related to foot traffic, temperature, air quality, and more. At the Lighting Environment's headquarters, there's no shortage of data reported. And now we're working on creating the best systems for harvesting that data. We're building an app that can alert managers of irregularities and ideas for optimization. We'd love for you to be our guest again. We've got a nifty office with some excellent lighting scenes, some color changing scenes, a lot of plant life, and very clean air, by the way, thanks to our UVC products. If you'd ever like to check it out, just email hello at environments.tech to reach us and ask for our upcoming calendar events. And please uh, check out the website. Environments.tech is where you can find us and all of our solutions. So at the end of the show, as you know, I always ask you to share and subscribe, right? It's that uh, podcast staple, and I can't not do it. So please, please do that. It would help us reach a whole new group of people who are interested in incorporating IoT technology into their smart spaces. Anyway, I am so happy that you joined us today, and I look forward to meeting with you next month. I am Philip Ruane, your host of the Elevated Environments Podcast, signing out.